now. This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. And while Willem van Dedren and Edge are back this week, Dino has flown the coop for a couple of weeks, so we've drafted in our former media man from the UK, Derek Dyson, off the subs bench to join us throughout the show. Looking forward to Derek's insights. But first, edition news with Willem shortly, and with the Socceroos successfully kicking off their journey to Qatar 2022 earlier in the week, we'll review what on most pundits' reviews was a professional 3-0 result against Kuwait with Fox Sports' The Voice of Football, Simon Hill. We'll continue the international theme with Oliru George Blackwood just back from camp after warm-up games against New Zealand. Underwhelming a little, but um, at least uh, they um, they managed to to get parity in both those games ahead of the AFC qualifying for next year's Tokyo Olympics. Then with the A-League countdown continuing and Dino away, Willem is in the hot seat to continue our club-by-club preview. This week it's the Jets and Wanderers. In the second hour, as we always do, we'll kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matildas Central. Then another of our favourites, elder statesman of the Australian coaching game, renowned analyst Ron Smith, to look at a lecture he's presenting in Brisbane next week called On the Attack, a goal-scoring analysis, which is sure to be an insight from the great man. And with the international break just completed in Europe and club football returning this week, Derek will look at all the results and ahead to the English Premier League. And, of course, we will wrap it up with stoppage time, as we always do. Michael, welcome back uh, from your little uh, sojourn through the Red Centre. Yeah, I, I um I finally got all the red dust out of my clothes. What happened, mate? We we pumped you up, Mikey Peterson. We were ready to go. We just were in a place that uh, we're very remote, and we just didn't have any reception. <laughs> and we were sitting there thinking uh, exactly what would happen. And they, they, I said to Mickey P, I said, you know what's happening right now? Yeah. They are just giving us a beating from pillar to post about well the deserved the phone. red card and uh, <laughs> it was just uh, even even there are spots of australia where telstra doesn't have any network it's, <laughs> it's as simple as that um having said that um what a weekend uh, or since the show um we all love our club football we love the premier league we love uh you know la liga we love all of that stuff but it really the, the i think the world game hits its straps when we have one of these international breaks um europe european qualifiers uh, obviously asian world cup qualifiers kicked off We'll talk about that in a bit of detail. Um, and even so, if you're if, if you're a football fan, if you're able to keep across all of that um, games, multiple games on the weekend, and um, and even I had a sneaky look at the African the African playoffs for for uh, teams to get into the sort of last two or three spots in the African World Cup qualification program, which was uh, some pretty interesting games over there as well. So it's all exciting. But Willem's got some news, and no doubt he's leading off with what was a fantastic start to the Socceroos 2022 FIFA World Cup Qatar qualifying campaign. Yes, I certainly am, Michael. The Socceroos, it was a flawless performance in my opinion, a 3-0 victory over Q8. First-time skipper Matt Leckie found the net twice early before Aaron Moy scored his first goal since March 2016. Couldn't believe it had been that long. Australia's next qualifier is against Nepal in Canberra next month. I think we've learned in Australian football not to take those results for granted. I think the early goal was also critical to cancel out any chance Q8 had. Oh, look, I was really uh, quite worried about this game because uh, Q8 had been off the radar for about four years because they had been suspended. Mm. Um, <clears throat> they obviously got themselves organised again. And obviously, coming at this time of the year with the heat, um, I was just, uh, I'd had the word from some analysts in the Middle East I'll keep in touch with that um, Q8 had been uh, in camp for a long time. They were, was it they 42 were very, very fit. Yeah, 42 at kickoff. It got to about 36 at the end of the game. Um, so. 
I thought it was a, a fantastic effort. I thought actually we dominated um, pretty much the entire game. We had a couple of sticky moments, didn't we, in the second half where they might have scored a goal. Uh, Matt Ryan made two very good saves sort of in quick succession. But uh, I thought it was a very good performance and I was very... And we'll obviously have a good chat to Simon Hill in the next uh, segment about it, but I was very happy with uh, the younger players that uh, are just making their way. Probably the only disappointment I had was that your man... Adam Taggart didn't score. I thought this might have been coming. You should have put a couple away as well. <laughs> hey, Derek, um, you uh, are a Euro snob, uh, famously, and mainly watch um, the old dart play. You did watch the Socceroos ahead of this game. So um, your thoughts? Oh, look, as, uh, as the gents are saying, it was an excellent result. You've just got to wonder how important Aaron Moy is to this team. He's clearly the standout player who was in involved in all three of the goals two fantastic corners and obviously his finish from uh distance after the goalkeeper made an error was sensational so he's really key and uh, in my opinion the Socceroos have got to build the team around him meanwhile the Ollie Roos had to settle for a pair of 1-1 draws in their friendlies against New Zealand Riley McGree and Lockie Whale scored the goals across the two matches the games were preparation for January's under 23 championships which of course act as the qualifiers for the Tokyo Olympics Interesting, back in March, Graham Arnold was the coach that uh, the Ollie Roos, when they had that uh, first phase of qualifying uh, to get through to the, the tournament that they're going to be uh, playing off in, in Thailand in January, uh, the last top 16 uh, under-23 men's na- nations in Asia. Um, uh, but I personally think they have a ton of work to do under the tutelage of Gary Van Engelwand. I'm, I'm I was actually uh, really impressed with the way they played uh, in that sort of first qualification phase. I watched all the games, but I couldn't have been more unimpressed with what I saw. Looking forward to talking to George Blackwood. Maybe yeah, exactly. Work. It'll be interesting to see what he gives us as well, um, you know, because sometimes you get... Uh, and we haven't had George on before, but, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, whether we get the, the straight up and down, you know, um, result responses or or a little bit more in the way of, um, you know, what the culture's like in in that team. Right I'll now. be interested to ask. We'll, we'll obviously have a good chat to George about that because for, for this age group of players, it's such a vital opportunity. And it's an opportunity to go to an Olympic Games. Uh, it's really, really serious. Mm. And um, uh, I hope they are... I hope they are putting all of their attention into this and making the most of the opportunity because um, it would be just something... Uh, I actually thought it was the first time in a long time we could qualify. Uh, I'm not so sure now. What do you first, think, Will? First time in 12 years, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think it was 2008, so it would be a yeah. massive shame if they couldn't qualify. There's enough talent there. That's always a, the problem with these mm-hmm. underage groups. As you see the names on paper, I think they should be able to gel and then they don't always get the job done. Graham Arnold has criticised the prospect of A-League clubs adding a sixth foreigner to their lists. Club owners are said to be considering the move as part of their revolution of the A-League, but Arnold believes a sixth foreigner would further restrict opportunities for young Aussie players, and I couldn't agree more. I think this is a terrible idea, to be perfectly honest. Um, It's really exciting that we've added 11th and 12th sides, and that's to maximise Australian opportunity. This would just take away from that, I think. I'm going to invoke um, our colleague Dean Hennessy in this one. He would be... He would be chewing the microphone off if uh, Mm. he could comment about this. It's completely inappropriate. The game's... Uh, this is one of the this is one of the challenges we'll have with uh, the new A League is that they will 
throw up uh, ideas like this, but it's just not in the interest of Australian football to do that. Well, England suffered for many years by allowing in a lot of uh, sort of people's opinion too many foreigners into the game. They've suffered at the international level. No, that's and, it, that's, and, I would, uh, I would on, say man, they man, haven't man, suffered. I would no, actually no, say no, it's better, they're better for no, it. No, no, but you... you, you you, you shouldn't jump in in the middle of uh, a point that someone is making, Michael, you see, because that's where I was going. Oh, it okay. wasn't Weird. until <laughs> they established St George's that uh, they started to, to bring more of their own into the, the top flight and then started to get the results that they've been getting over recent years. That's the point that I was making, if you allow me to complete it. Derek, who do you uh, support in this argument, mate? Oh, look, I think it depends whether you're taking a shorter or long-term view of the game. In the short term, bringing in um, foreign players, obviously, possibly with higher quality, will get you results but and may well attract a few more fans into the ground if they've got any kind of pedigree. But if you're looking to improve the Ollie Roos and, and up, then you need to be blooding as many young players as you can. I think the issue is I think you can't compare because the Premier League is one of the best leagues in the world and it attracts the best players. The sort of foreigners we're getting in the A-League are people that really can't get an opportunity in other places because they're coming to Australia. So, um, you know, Tornivan's probably a standout uh, one in relation to that. Probably um, Ninkovic is a standout one. But beyond and beyond that, you know, I just don't think we've been, been getting quality. So they're, they're the old cloggers on the list. And, and the other thing that happens is we've only got a, a small elite level of football. In England, you've got you know arguably three tiers that are uh, create opportunities for local players to get, a, especially young players, to get a, a grounding in the game and, and uh, a platform to excel. So I think it's comparing oranges with uh, meat pies, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> it's football. It's the same game. One foreigner who has been a success in the past is coming back. Melbourne Victory have signed Adama Traore. He left in 2014. He was a fan favourite at the Victory and at Gold Coast United before that. Since he left, he's played in the Champions League with Basel and in Turkey and Portugal. He also played 12 times for the Ivory Coast, but he'll count as a local for the victory due to his Australian citizenship. A lot of victory fans very excited about this one. Yeah, good signing. Now, let's, I understand he had a medical and passed it. That was the big uh, contention with uh, whether he would come back, but he was a very popular player, and I understand he's a bit of a natural leader too. So uh, that uh, that uh, team is shaping up all right, isn't it? Melbourne Victory fans might be looking ahead to this season with a little bit of optimism. Mm, the new era, the post-Muskie era. Under Although when we talk to Ron Smith later, he might talk about not having any expectations. Yes, he may do. That you, uh, He's famous you for that. Your crystal ball. All right, thanks, Willem. Well done. Um, we're going to talk to Simon Hill next, the voice of football in this country uh, from Fox Sports. Yes, you said uh, a flawless start uh, over there in Q8. We'll see what uh, Simon, the man who commentated on that game, has to say about it next on Box to Box. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And storage gear. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And uh, look, you know, any uh, soccer fan worth their green and gold blood would... Uh, Never go into a match uh, thinking it was a foregone conclusion, but we obviously were confident against Q8. But uh, like uh, many of us uh, observers think that um, it's a home World Cup coming up in Qatar, so the locals are getting prepared, but uh, the soccer has got the job done. And Simon Hill, the voice of football in Australia, Fox Sports, Simon Hill was calling that game. Welcome back to the show, Simon. How are you guys? You alright? Yeah, really good, mate. But um, just pleased, I guess, relieved to, to get off the mark and, um, and 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 knock in three and, and see um, you know our, our our best player Aaron Moy um, in imperious form and uh, and still know that there are you know injured players to come off the bench and a bit more fine tuning to do. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good night, to be honest. I don't know if you agree. I thought uh, Australia played very well, particularly first half. Um, they dominated the game. I thought the, the high energy in those conditions as well, because it's very hot. Um, but I thought that was probably uh, due to the conditioning that they'd undertaken in the UAE, where apparently, by all accounts, it was even hotter in Dubai. So they showed the benefits of that. Uh, and really, by the time Q8 started to try and get into the game a little bit, second half, the game was, was already won. Um, I think you've got to, you know, with a little bit of respect to Q8, say that their coach got their tactics wrong <laughs> by leaving their two best players on the bench. Um, I think his plan was obviously to try and, you know, defend and keep it to, to nil-nil and hope that the Australians tired in the second half and then he could go for it. But... Uh, yeah, they were just too good on the night. And I thought they were, you know, good performances. Aaron Moore, you've mentioned, I thought was was terrific. I thought Jackson Irvine was was yeah, we thought Jackson was good. Yeah, uh, Matty Ryan, of course, when called upon, he didn't have a lot to do, but he, he made two big saves second half, which could have changed the complexion of the game. Um, and and even you know, if you if you want to pick out a slight negative, I suppose Adam Taggart had a couple of good chances, probably should have scored. But I thought generally his, his overall play was pretty good. So. Uh, I think, you know, in general, it was uh, it was a big tick for everyone, really. Simon, I'm going to pick out some names because, um, you know, if three or four years ago you said that the Socceroos had opened a World Cup campaign with the, with names like this in the team: Borello, Grant, Jago, Mabil, mm-hmm. and Taggart. Um, Arnie is transitioning the team. It's it's not an easy task to transition a team, and um, I, I must admit uh, it is only early days. But uh, he, mm-hmm. he's gone about it. Uh, he's given. It seems to be. I think he's played about forty players since the transition began. Be, mm-hmm. Began. So he's obviously building a foundation, and um, all of those players, um, other than maybe uh, your comments about Taggart who could have scored, all those players should uh, hold their heads high, shouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? What's the common thread between all those players that, they, that you mentioned? That they all started and were developed in the A League. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, for, for for all the grief that the A League gets in this country um, and we do like to talk down our own when it comes to our own national league you know these guys have have developed in this country Uh, most of them have gone on to play overseas Ryan Grant of course the exception at the moment Um, but that's what it's there for at least one of the reasons Um, so you know Arnie's not got a big player base and we we have to bear that in mind Um, you know we're no longer flush with lots of players who are playing in the top leagues of Europe uh, so he has to search around, which is why he's gone to the likes of Harry Sutar and um, you know Martin Boyle, of course, is out injured at the moment. But he's trying to make the best of, of what he's got, really, which is a pretty small player base. I reckon he's probably got about 40 to 50 players yeah, I agree. Really, yeah. that he can select from, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the likes of Brazil, Argentina, even England, Italy, Germany, they've got hundreds that they can, that they can pick from. We don't. Um, and obviously, you know, it's incumbent upon us long term that we can get more in terms of numbers by having more professional clubs. But that's another discussion entirely, isn't it? It certainly is. Simon, <laughs> Simon we mentioned Moy earlier, and obviously he was the, the star man on the night. Can we over ever overestimate the importance that he has to this current side? Obviously, when we see him in... Premier League action, he's playing in, in lower down the table teams and often is, you know, they're defending and under the cosh. But we saw last night where, you know, he had the, he had the time and the space to actually, you know, shoot, you know, pick, pick passes. He's excellent. What's the best way for Australia to make the best use of him tactically, do you think, in terms of his position? 
well, look, I've always thought that, and, and this is what happened in the second half, where he was he was pushed a bit further forward. I mean, he's, he's a number 10, Aaron, really. Uh, I, you know, he plays, tends to play a bit deeper than that, but I, I like to see him in those areas where he can hurt teams when he's passing and with his shooting. Six goals uh, from 40 games, six goals from 40 I games. So, yeah. I, I mean, but he's played a lot for the Socceroos, even in that much deeper role, as you said. So Correct. can we expect maybe uh, under Graham Arnold he'll be let loose a bit more? Well, I don't know, because, of course, the issue is he's also got Tommy Rogic and he's got Maslowongo and, mm. you know, Jackson Irvine. But Irvine, I think, is better suited to that uh, six role. But, he, I mean, he can also play as an eight or a ten. Um, they're all interchangeable. Uh, it's it's a similar conundrum that Ange Postacoglu had in that, he's, you know, a lot of his best players are essentially playing in a very similar position. Mm. He's got to try and accommodate as many of them, <clears throat> excuse me, as he possibly can. Uh, what happens with Aaron when Tommy Rogic comes back? Because he's another great talent, and and you need those uh, you know game changing players. Daniel Arzani is another one. And again, if you bring Arzani in, uh, as great as he is offensively, he probably doesn't offer that much defensively. So you know you have to try and sort of balance that out a little bit as well. It, I mean that that's it's like a Rubik's cube, isn't it, for a, an international coach? Um, and unfortunately, he can't solve it by going into the transfer market and buying players. So he's got to make the best of what he's got. But I, I liked where Aaron played second half against Kuwait. I personally think that's his best position, whether he's better uh, than Tommy Rogic or, or Luongo. Well, that's, that's for Arnie to decide. But I think on the strength of the other night, you'd have to say he's, uh, he's earned his spot. He was pretty good. This is Box to Box on NTS. We're talking to Fox Sports. Simon Hill post-analysing the Socceroos Kuwait match. Yeah, just looking ahead to the next few games, Simon, obviously the next one is up is Australia and Nepal, and we'd expect to win there. We're trying to freeze them to death in you know, Canberra. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hang on. Mate, they, they do have a, a, a pretty um, small pile of dirt in their country. Um, yeah, it's very a high up. Kathmandu's pretty warm. But um, obviously then the Socceroos hit the road again at Chinese Taipei, and then Jordan's the one that you've got you've got a circle in the diary saying mm. that's a big game. Do you think, can you see any resistance uh, Chinese Taipei, or is it all about that Jordan game now? What happens there? Yeah, look, I think with respect to Nepal and, and Chinese Taipei, let's hope we don't play Nepal at, uh, Jinder, uh, at Jinderbine or Threadbow, otherwise they will be at home. Um, but I don't think really they've got an awful lot to worry Australia. Jordan, of course, have given us issues in the past, uh, but more so away from home than at home. Um, but, I mean, let's be honest, if Australia can't get through this group to the next stage, then they don't deserve to be in Qatar 2022, really. Uh, I, I think they'll be OK. Um, it's, it's whether when we get to the final stage of qualifying and you come up against you know, the South Koreans... Uh, the Japanese, the Iranians, um, and, you know, a couple of the emerging nations from the Gulf. Obviously, UAE uh, gave us a lot of trouble and knocked us out at the Asian Cup in January. So, you know, that, those teams can be dangerous. But um, I, I think for this first stage of qualifying, I think they'll be all right, to be honest. I think they will too. Uh, just a question um, for you on our skipper, Mark Milligan, who was obviously withdrawn with injury uh, and sent mm. back to Southend. Uh, what did you make... Well, it's been a little while since we spoke to you, Simon, but what did you make of his move to Southend United in England? Uh, I'm just interested to th- to understand what you think of that and, um, and how that might play out with uh, his readiness to play for Australia. Well, look, first of all, I know that Mark has always been desperate to play in England. I mean, obviously he wanted to play in the Premier League. 
Um, he's probably a little bit too old for that these days. He's 30, was he 34 now? Yeah. Um, but he had that chance, of course, with Crystal Palace and, and Melbourne Victory refused to let him go, which they were fully within their rights to do so. So I know it's always been a lifetime's ambition for him to play in England. And in fairness to Millsy, even though you look at Southend and go, oh, dear, what, why is he going there? But he was cut from Hibernian quite brutally, and I don't think he expected it, really. So, you know, he had to find a club, um, and maybe that was the best available uh, in terms of length of contracts, the money he was being offered, uh, you know, guarantee of being able to play if he wants to continue his international career, uh, lifestyle, etc., etc. There are all these factors that, you know, players uh, have to take into consideration. The downside for Millsy... Uh, is that when he's playing in League One, you play 46 games a season, probably over 50 if you're yeah. including FA Cup, League Cup, Johnston's Paint Trophy, whatever it's Especially if you're days. the captain and you're exactly. anchoring the defence, yeah. That's mm. right, and he's played every single minute so mm. far. I think he's been playing twice a week since the start of the season, which is probably one of the reasons why Arnie said, look, you've got a little bit of a niggle, let's not risk it. You're playing an awful lot of football, hot conditions in Q8. For this game, we can do without you. But... You know, I think Millsy's international career obviously is is now a game by game proposition. But I think I still think he can have a big part to play because of his experience. And let's be honest, he's still a damn good player. Yeah, and look, if he doesn't get injured, at least we know he'll be fit. So playing that amount yeah. of football. Yeah. Simon, thanks again, mate. It's always good to chat to you. Uh, it's good we're uh, through to. Um, well, at least we're off to the right sort of start, and and hopefully, um, as the the countdown ticks towards Qatar, um, we we keep on hearing um, good results, mate. So um, look forward okay. to having a under you real soon. Start practicing your see Spanish you too, Simon. See, <laughs> si, senor. See. Si. See. Si. Good on you, <laughs> Simon Hill. See you guys. Okay, next up we're going to talk to uh, Ollie Roos, aren't we? We're going to talk to George Blackwood, Adelaide United, um, the Brow Ward, boy, he, weren't, uh, he was good, but uh, the team wasn't that impressive against New Zealand. We're going to find out a little bit more about that after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, and it's been three Olympic cycles, 12 years since uh, the Oli Roos have qualified, and we are all hoping that uh, Tokyo next year will see that drought broken, and a man who is in that squad and who's just come off the back of a couple of friendlies against New Zealand is uh, George Blackwood from uh, the Adelaide United Football Club. Welcome to the show, George. Hey, mate, how are you? Yeah, we're really good, George. Um, I guess good, more good. importantly, how, how are you, mate? I mean, uh, you know, it's, uh, to, to go to, to the Olympics uh, for, for your young footballer, I mean, obviously, you know, in football, World Cup is the pinnacle and, uh, you know, uh, top flight competition around the world is, uh, is the hope and dream of every, uh, of every young man. But to go to the Olympics uh, is something that, um, that would be something special to have on your CV. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a, a massive goal uh, for a lot of us uh, now moving into the qualifying campaign, and and it's it's good to go away for for a few camps before then to kind of gel as a team and and get familiar with each other and and sort out some different ways to play and some different tactics. And yeah, everyone's really excited for the qualifiers, and we're hoping for the best, and we're confident in the team we have. So, George, your year, obviously, when you went into this pre-season, um, you've obviously got Ollie Roos commitments and obviously with your club. So I think it's three weeks in January. Uh, we, we will assume uh, that uh, the Ollie Roos will go deep into the tournament. You're in a 
We're still waiting to find out who your opponents will be in the group, aren't we? But uh, effectively, that tournament's in, in Thailand. You could be crisscrossing uh, all of Thailand in January. Um, but just tell us about how you um, have approached the year, just mentally, on the basis that you've got, obviously, your A-League commitments, but the, the Ollie Roos um, activity must be also firmly in your mind, and you must have to uh, juggle your preparation in relation to both commitments. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a little bit difficult when you have um, so many camps for the young soccerers and the early roos. I've been through it before, and it can disrupt uh, your rhythm a little bit when you're coming in and out of club. But then again, it's always such a pleasure to represent Australia, and, and that's how all the boys uh, see it. I think you've got to take every opportunity as it comes because you never know when might be the last time you put on the jersey. So you kind of approach it with a... With a fresh mindset, you kind of just got to take it week to week and, and hope that you can do well at club level and, and then get into these Ollie Roos camps and put a good foot forward to be a, a big part in, in the involvement in the qualifiers in January. Now, Graham Arnold uh, coached you in the first phase of qualifying in March uh, in Cambodia, I think it was. Was that right, in Cambodia? Yeah, in Cambodia. Yeah, yeah. so you had Arnie there, but obviously Gary Van Egmond now is, after his uh, commitments with the Matildas, has uh, slotted in, and he he's going to be taking you through to January. Is that correct? Yeah, I, th- I think Arnie is still going to take us in January, okay. but uh, yep. Gary Van Egmond is going to take us in all the international windows, because obviously Arnie has to um, yeah, take the seniors, coach yeah. the national team, so... So it, it was good. I haven't been under Gary before, and it, and it was great to um, it was great to work under him. And he's he's a fantastic coach, and he's he's got a lot of advice to give out. and And it was good to get a fresh look on things. and And, and I think we're going to develop a few different ways to play under Gary now, and then we'll still have those those different ways to play under Arnie. So we'll be really tough to compete against. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Adelaide United man and Ollie Roo, George Blackwood. Now, George, um, you know, we, we usually tend to beat up on New Zealand in the uh, the sort of the Olympic under-23 sort of level. I mean, the, the men's and the women's uh, football teams from uh, the land of the long white cloud in recent years have, have been, you know, putting in some pretty impressive performances. But... Uh, uh, in your honest opinion, do you think that the the, the uh, Ollie Roos underperformed, or, or did uh, uh, New Zealand raise their game in that recent uh, couple of uh, ties? I think a little bit of both. I think obviously the two draws were disappointing results for us. We definitely wanted to uh, win both of those games, and I think for the for the most part we we dominated both games. But it was just about getting into the final third and creating chances and then especially in the second game uh, taking our chances we had a lot of chances to go two three four up in the first half and we just didn't take them and that's sort of what happened we let them back in the game and then they had a few good players who played well and 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 they put us under pressure but um that's what these friendlies are for they're all a learning curve and and as much as you want to win them you you learn a, a lot through them no matter what the result is and that's that's the main thing we're trying to do on the road to the 
the qualifiers. And as much as you know, there's a, there's a lot of quality in the squad right now. There there is a lot of quality um, that is yet to join the team. Um, you know, Daniel Arzani in particular is the expectation in the group that um, that every player who is able and qualified to play from an age point of view will play. And then obviously, um, once uh, if uh, Australia do qualify, there's still that rule that uh, three senior players can can join the the squad. So um, on that first question, is that expectation there that players like Daniel Arzani will put their hand up? Yeah, for sure. I think anyone who's eligible will be um, foaming at the mouth to <laughs> to go to the Olympics. So I think we're going to use all our resources to get there. And like you said, we've got um, some players that can qualify for that age group and Arzani is one and, and they're going to bring a lot of quality to the team. So we're really hopeful that um, we can qualify come January. We certainly are hopeful that we can qualify come January. It'll be a great experience, uh, uh, almost like a mini Asian Cup for, for you guys. Um, let's change tack a bit now, um, George. We, it would be remiss of us not to just have a bit of a chat to you about um, your pre-season at Adelaide. Uh, we know uh, the pre-seasons for A-League clubs are long uh, compared to other parts of the world, but tell us about uh, your new coach, Gertan Verbeek. Um, he's um, He's been interesting the few times we've sort of had grabs of him uh, through the FFA Cup. Um how have you found him to work with, and uh, are you excited about uh, um, you know learning under under him over the next uh, period of time? Yeah, for sure, he's been uh, good to work with. It's a lot different um, to last year, which is good. It's good to get a fresh outlook on things, and 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 it, it's good just learning off off different coaches, and that's that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to learn off him and become better, and and he's developing our team a certain way to play exciting football and win games so that's that's what we're looking to do this year and, and pre-season's obviously hard but in the long run I'm sure it, it will benefit us. Well like all great uh, Dutch football coaches and we've had a, we've had many in Australia um, he looks like uh, he, he's, he's not related to Pim Verbeek but he looks like he goes to the same barber yeah, he's got that sort of <laughs> rock star hairdo, doesn't he? Now, has anybody bitten that off uh, at training and suggested he go and get a haircut, or are we, we just, is that a bit too close to the bone, uh, George? Uh, no, no, well, I'm definitely not going to be <laughs> saying any, commenting on anything. So, um, yeah, but he, he's, he's good He's good to have around the club and that, and obviously he's a good coach, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how we go this year, for sure. And when you see, sorry, uh, 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 he's only 56 years old, uh, you know, with the kind of experience um, coaching, you know, at the highest level, you know, in, in Germany and Holland and, you know, with clubs like Herenveen, Feyenoord, uh, Nuremberg, FC He's 20. He's got an incredible pedigree. It, it is. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that, that's, I mean, we talk about getting, you know, the, the best players, but, but you know, you, you can you can get, you know, quality uh, coaching uh, from, from you know, uh, a guy like him uh, that's uh, the, the, the sort of like of coaching you'd get anywhere in the world, really, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I think he's got great experience, and obviously he was a player as well, which helps a lot. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just bringing a bunch of new strategies to the table, which is fantastic. It's getting everyone to sort of think outside the box and, and learn different ways to pl- play the game we love. So it, it's great, and, and I'm hoping things go really well this year. Well, you've been joined at Adelaide uh, by your Ollie roommate, Riley McGree. Um, I'm expecting you guys to form a pretty good partnership. He's been in some good form uh, in the FFA Cup. Have you enjoyed having Riley around? And uh, obviously, settled in being a South Australian, he settled back in pretty smoothly, I'd imagine. Yeah, for sure. He's a, he's a fantastic player and um, a good friend as well. So it's, it's good to have him back around the club. And it's, it's definitely a great signing. And 
and he, he's looking to have a strong season as am I. So hopefully we can link up well together this year and, and score a lot of goals and create some for each other. So that's what we're looking to do. And and yeah, it's 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 great to have um, him around again. And he's obviously he's he's fit in very easily and he's he's back home. So um, things are going well in that regard. Well, I tell you who you've linked up well with, George, and that's us because we, you know, we're never sure when we have players on whether they're just going to go down the sort of uh, the, the the straight path and not give us anything. So um, you're uh, an interesting bloke, and you give uh, some uh, interesting responses, mate, when we have a yarn here. So we'll, hopefully, we'll have you back on during the season, mate, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you, uh, you know, as as the A League season rolls out, but hopefully as the um, the, the crescendo to the Ollie Roos qualifying uh, continues to build. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, good luck, George. George Blackwood, Ollie Rue and Adelaide United. What do you reckon? I think Strong you know, man. I'm always looking for a commercial opportunity in life. Do you mm-hmm. reckon Gertan, Gertan Verbeeker Wiggs will go down well in Adelaide? He's got a unique yeah. hairstyle, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I agree. I think it's sort of... He, he could be a bit of a rock star cult yeah, figure, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's got the sort of wispy sort of... Um, sort of all happening, sort of... Sort of Einstein almost, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it is. Not not, not quite as freaky, but, no, um, but, but the colour. But it's out there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, well, L'Oreal might get over there and start sponsoring <laughs> Adelaide United. All right, stick around because uh, we are going to get back into a little more A-League conversation. Willem's going to jump in and we're going to continue the countdown or at least the preview of uh, of the club's uh, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers and the Newcastle Jets are uh, on the chopping block next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, they're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. It's been a great first hour with Simon Hill, George Blackwood. We now have Willem in to help us continue to dissect the upcoming A-League season, looking and previewing the chances of the Western Sydney Wanderers and the Newcastle Jets. But before we do, Chemist Warehouse right now is the House of Finals. So you can get along to a chemist warehouse and collect your free AFL and NRL medallions. They are wonderful collectibles. So in the AFL, you've got the chance to collect the uh, the Brownlow medal replica, the Norm Smith medal replica, the AFL Premiership Season medal, the AFL Premiership Cup. In the NRL, the Dally M medal, the JJ Gilton and Shield. Now, do any of you guys know what the JJ Gilton and Shield is? No idea what that you is. You have not? on. No, 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 it's not. It was the trophy that was presented to... It's a shield, in fact, similar to the Sheffield Shield to the Premiers before the current trophy, uh, which is called the Proven Summons Trophy, was uh, Why didn't they keep the original one? Because, uh, well, it was a a cigarette sponsorship um, that that, that, um, uh, that was called the Winfield Cup for a while there, and uh, so they they now give the JJ Gilton shield to the minor Premiers. Uh, So um, that's the story behind that. So the Proven Summons Trophy and the, no, the NRL Telstra the Premiership. Cup. Correct. Uh, so buy any of the participating so products to collect your House of Finals medallion and for your chance to win one of five double passes to either AFL or NRL Grand Final, including flights and accommodation from your nearest capital city and a chance to win a million dollars towards buying a house. How's that? The participating products are QV, Oral-B, Swiss and Chic. So shop participating products now at Chemist Warehouse. Remember, um, I mean, you you grew up in the uh, as you as you tell all our listeners from time to time, you grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. Mm-hmm. So when I was a little kid, um, in between 
going down to the Olympic Village to see the burgers. We'd go off and from time to time to the MCG and see a bit mm. of footy. Mm. And you'd get the record, and uh, I'd be looking mm. for the record, and they'd have the McClellan Trophy. Do you know what the McClellan Trophy yeah, is? Yeah, so the McClellan Trophy, um, that isn't that... That was back in the days when they had senior, in the VFL, seniors, uh, reserves, and under 19. So mm. they used to combine mm. all the ladders. And yes, I heard someone talking yeah, about it the other day. Whoever, it was the combined total of the number right, one club. That's right, yeah. the number one club across yeah. those three competitions, yeah. which I always thought was an interesting thing. Yeah, I rugby league had a similar ladder, but, but I can't remember that there was a trophy that, mm. that, that was for, for that. Funny name. little uh, quirks that sporting organisations come up with, isn't it, Willem? Yeah, it's lost a bit of its luster, the Ross McClelland. But yeah, the, still, do they still have it? They still have it, but it's just for whoever finishes top of the AFL, which no one's overly fussed about. So they still give it out, Geelong oh, right. this year. Oh, okay. It doesn't actually mean a great deal. Yeah, yeah. But back in the day, it used to be, you know, the combination. Club, yeah, yeah, which I think is a good idea. Yeah. Hey, uh, Willem, you've got uh, some A-League stuff we're going to talk about, which is, uh, we're doing, I understand you, they started last week. We, we weren't here. Yep. They were talking about, uh, which were the clubs you did last week, right? So we started at the bottom of the ladder. Oh, right, so, okay. Um, so, so you did the... with New Zealand and... Um, Central, Central Coast Central Sailors. Coast, yeah. New Zealand. Mm. Central Coast Sailors and the New Zealand Warriors. Oh, Wellington. And we're talking rugby? No. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, so this week we're talking we about the Mariners Wanderers and the Wanderers. Last week, this week yeah. we got the Wanderers and the Jets. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Go. Now, so, um, so much so, attention I was paying. So let's talk. Who are we going to do first? The Jets got, or the Wanderers? We got the Wanderers up first. Of course, finished eighth last year, going from bottom to top. So this is can't go out of a sequence in Dean's uh, sequence, can we? No, no way. He'll, he'll reach. Well, but the big problem is that we've got to add Western um, United in there. So speaking we'll squeeze of, them in. We'll squeeze this is in. normally Dean. Speaking of Dean, um, just to let all our listeners into a bit of a, a bit of um, you know behind the behind the curtain of box the box dino's on whatsapp just sending us uh, pictures of uh, him having his salad lunch at in crete mm. saying it's the best salad he's ever had in his life yeah he's got a floral polo he's got the legs out and the shorts looking very very floral yeah, that's not what himself. i would have expected him to be doing you know, the one photo i remember <laughs> him saying he was the one of him drinking a beer with, with uh, his mate john beckett yeah exactly. he's over there as well yeah Alrighty, so the Wanderers, second season under Marcus Babel, and one that presents uh, of great optimism, in my opinion. They're back at home at Parramatta, and this is also Babel's squad now. There's no sort of residual players mm-hmm. from the Gombau era. They're also still in the FFA Cup. They're in ripping form. I actually expect them to win mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But all that I've just said could uh, become a negative, on the other hand, if things go wrong, so there's no more excuses for Babel. I think uh, they're going to be the big improvers this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the They've just rolling out signings in their team. It yep. looks really impressive. Um, I really like Mitchell Duke as a player. I really like Matt German as a player. Yep. Um, I think they're well and surely on the way. Uh, I think the signings they've made are very, very good, and um, I'm expecting them to improve a lot. And I, I don't think you can underestimate... Have you got the key the, signings there, William? Have yeah, you done yeah I do. Yeah, before you go into that, I, can't, I don't think you can underestimate the quality um, of, of a, or the... Um, of the brand new stadium. Yeah, I think that's going to you know, ignite, electrify mm. the whole yeah. Western Sydney Wanderers community. Because let's remember yeah. when Parramatta Stadium it was there. It, it, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a rundown stadium. How excited is your brother small. Bill? I mean, I know he's Pat, a Pat's Pat. The sorry, one, yeah, Pat, yeah. he's a member, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, so he's yeah. uh, has he chosen his seat at the stadium yet? Have you spoken yeah, to yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, he has. He's already bought his membership. So, so, so he's, he's 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 a classic. What's he done? What's he done? Do you know what he's done in the stadium? So look, I don't know exactly where, but but I do know he's a he's a Parramatta man. He's a GWS man and he's a Western Sydney Wanderers fan and, and he goes and he's a member of all the clubs and he goes with my sister-in-law Janelle and the kids sometimes when when they want to go so they they just they just love the teams that represent that 
Parramatta Western suburbs of Sydney area and uh, and the fact that um, that it's like if if anyone listening who's not from Sydney who doesn't know Parramatta Parramatta is a is is a really easy um, city to get around and uh, and and so and there's a real vibe about walking up to to what used to be known as Cumberland Oval and the Parramatta Leagues Club and and uh, and you know to go in for a drink or a feed after the game because it's right next door uh, so it, it's all a big community feel and and with that stadium just rocking the house best day. Well, along with Optus Stadium over Can't in Can't wait to see how the active group goes uh, in the standing room. Um, but, I'll, look, I think we're all in furious agreement that Western Sydney Wanderers are on the improve. So I've got a few thoughts on the squad. I think their defence is extremely strong and also very balanced. So, as you mentioned, they've got Yerman, Dylan McGowan, Georgievsky and Elrich, who are experienced A-League campaigners, and also kids in Mordekutis and Tate Russell, who I know fans are very excited about. Up top, Mitch Chuk, who you mentioned, is the skipper, and Kwame Yaboa will need to stick most of the goals. He's a good player, Yaboa. But I think it gets interesting. In midfield, it's a bit threadbare on proven A-League quality, so Babel's gone all in on two players. He's got Perman Schwiegler and Radislav Majewski. Both are 32. Both have been internationals for Switzerland and Poland, respectively. Schwiegler's got 250 Bundesliga caps, so they, yeah, they really need... So, yeah, a lot relies on, on those two blokes, success or otherwise, for the team. And Babel. And Newcastle Jets, uh, we've got a very big soft spot for them because of yep. their mate Laurie McKinna. Yeah, we've all um, hit the, the the club's for sale. Uh, the owner's um, has been hit financially because of the sanctions in America. A lot of his product goes there. Um, they were running the club at a deficit, a small deficit, which the owner was topping up. Uh, but I understand they now have to break even. So, it's been a cost uh, cost management struck, uh, item there. Therefore, um, they've had uh, to be very astute in the market. We do like the number nine that uh, they've they've signed. We do like the Irish Messi uh, yep. that they have signed. I think they won't um, they won't be any worse than they were last year, but I don't think they're going to be any better. They've also signed Matty Miller from CCM, who was exceptional in his breakout year last year, and the Mariners were actually napping on offering him a new deal, so the Jets have swooped in there. That's a good one. I yeah. still think their most important player by a fair stretch is Dimi Petratos, when he's on there on. When he's not, sometimes I can be a little bit flat. At his best, he's a socceroo. He needs to be consistent. He has done it in the past, so he needs to do it for them all year. I do see them missing the six, however. I just think there's a bit of an unhealthy reliance on Petratos and also Abdiola Royo the new striker you mentioned. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, those two are exceptionally crucial. If one of them goes down, I think there may not be enough to step up across the season. Well, they're the still in the FFA Cup, so we'll see how they uh, progress through that competition. be interesting. Yeah, well, Ernie Merrick, we had him on a couple of weeks ago, and Ernie seemed up and about. Um, no, no. You know, he's you a, say they're in the FFA Cup doing well. He's a good well. coach, and they will do their best, but I just don't think they've got... Uh, I think they're, they're fighting this, this season with uh, one, hand, one hand time on their back. Yeah, well, I guess that's the case. But when was the last time we saw a team go into a season where we were not expecting them to do well and they performed uh, against the expectations? Of well, that was Newcastle Jets two years ago. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So a lot of this um, side, a lot of this side, that side is still involved. There hasn't been yeah. a great overhaul across yeah. the past two seasons. So a lot of those guys were there for that. No, they're going to be competitive. They just, I just think they're going to struggle at the top end against the against the uh, the Wanderers, Victory, and Sydney. Yep. Okay. All right. Well. Uh, and Perth. Yeah. And Western United. And Western well. United. Yeah. 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 Did well, you do Western Cup. United last week? No, no, we haven't. We do we, them we, last. We we'll do yeah. Western United. We better get Dino on as well because uh, you know the problem with um, with not having Dino on is uh, is that um, you know you don't get sort of some of his more fiery sort of um, you know predictions and uh, well, what do you think he would predict from from those two teams? Oh, well, he's got a soft spot for Newcastle, so he he would be talking them up. And he probably would agree with us about the Wanderers. Um, yeah. 
Dino also went through the first couple of fixtures for each side last week, yeah, so we'll we just do that it. really quickly. For the Wanderers, they've got the Mariners at their new uh, home first up. Spanking. And then victory at the Docklands, where they have a terrible record historically. Mm. And then Sydney in the Derby, so a really tough second and third round there, so they need to beat the Mariners. And then for the Jets, they've actually got the bye first up, which is a little bit dull. They then have CCM uh, in an away Derby and Adelaide at home. Uh, just a question without notice. Uh, is the bye... Um, just the buy where you get nothing, or are they going to, like in the old-fashioned days, give you three points and a 3 nil win? No, you get nothing, I believe. Nothing, yeah. right. Okay. That doesn't really matter, does it? It, it? Well, everyone has the same amount of buys. That's right. Hmm. Do you like the buy? No. Yeah. I hate the buy. Um, yeah, and I don't like the fact that there's, there, there's, you know, a handful of teams you play three times, all that sort of stuff. I, I don't like that at all. Yeah, not, not, not entirely happy with that. But anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, well, next season will sort it out, won't it, once? Uh, how's that going to work next? Uh, 26 yeah, rounds. Yeah. yeah. Next season will work out. It's just mm. teething problems for this year, but I think we'll just cop it for a season. Mm. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, well done, Willem. Um, we're only, you know, three weeks away from next week onwards. Uh, at, uh, Less than 30 days, 29 days to go. So it, it, look, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be going to be an exciting time, the A-League, Rob. You love the A-League. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. It's especially... Uh, going to do your parking trick down there and just... Rob, tell everyone. Shh. It's my secret. Okay. okay. Rob's got a secret parking spot exactly. down at Amy Park. All right. It's my spot. After the break, <laughs> second edition news. And we'll talk to the elder statesman of the Australian coaching rank, renowned analyst Ron Smith. We're going to get stuck into Europe with Derek and uh, stoppage time where we'll find something interesting to talk about. Stick around. That's all after the news on box to box Now, this is box to box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to box to box second edition news shortly, including Matilda's and Socceroos Central. Then we're going to uh, get into a chat about the analysis of football coaching with uh, an elder statesman, the elder statesman of Australian coaching ranks, renowned analyst Ron Smith. Uh, Derek and the boys will join us <coughs> to talk about Europe, uh, the football break, the international break, and uh, the Premier League Championship, all the competitions starting again this weekend, and we'll, uh, we'll prognosticate a little further in stoppage time, as we always do. Ron Smith has the unique nickname Smudger. Unique. Everyone was say, everybody, Smith is Smudger. Uh, everybody has a surname Smith is Smudger, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Grand Gold Army support the Socceroos in their World Cup qualifier in Taiwan this October. After that, follow the young Matildas in Thailand as they compete in the 2019 Under-19 19, under Asian Cup. Both packages are available at ggatravel.com.au. Emily Gelnick has made an impressive start to life at Bayern Munich. She started in her debut and played 63 minutes in their 5-0 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. In England, there was a debut for 18-year-old Jacinta Galabarici for West Ham in the English Women's Super League. Just on the English English Women's Super League, if I can interrupt there, uh, very interesting um, that they, they did a great marketing coup. They launched their season in the international window, obviously, because there's no Premier League fixtures, so they played all of their games in the traditional stadiums. And uh, Manchester... United drew over 35,000 people. Chelsea, over 25,000 people. Um, there was crowds... Every game had more than 10,000 people. So isn't that a wonderful uh, achievement for women's soccer in England, considering those games normally... They play them at sort of training venues and sort of lower-ranked stadiums where they only get sort of a, a couple of thousand people. So maybe there's a message that... Uh, these stadiums are iconic destinations in their own right, and uh, maybe they should 
fixture more of the women's games there, Derek? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the women's games obviously had a huge boost uh, in England over the last few years, and these games were played at the Etihad Stadium, home of Manchester City, and of course Stamford Bridge, home of Chelsea. In the Chelsea game, they actually gave away quite a lot of tickets yeah, okay. for free, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think was a smart strategy because they could get data and then they can contact the people that were interested. And then at the Etihad, I think a whole family could get in for £7 or about $14. So great initiative, sir. It's a great initiative, and apparently they atmosphere at both games was excellent a little bit of news from the national women's soccer league sam kerr netted twice in chicago's 3-0 win over houston before assisting a last minute winner later in the week against alana kennedy's orlando pride so chicago remaining third the big shock has been in portland edge where of course hayley rasso ellie carpenter and caitlin ford play they've been on top of the table for most of the season but have slipped to second following losses to utah and north carolina the second of those being a 6-0 drubbing yeah, I don't know what, what happened with a 6-0 drubbing because Portland has been on fire. But um, they're, they're, I think they're one of those teams that are, they've got a fortress at home, but uh, they go on the road, they might struggle a bit. I think that both those games were on the road. One absentee from the Socceroos was Daniel Arzani during the week. He's expected to be back in the mix for Celtic by the end of the month after his knee reconstruction. And I know there's some people in Australian football who can't stand the sight of him, but I'm going to start an Ann Postacoglu watch. He has Yokohama F. Marinos in third place in the J-League with nine matches to play, seven points off top. They've scored 45 goals in 25, and they're in the Asian Champions League places. So go Ange, I suppose. Yeah, no, we love Ange Postacoglu. Uh, we might test that ideology of playing out the back with Ron Smith and see what Ron's got to say about mm. uh, how many goals are scored from playing out of the back. Because we know he loves that. I've still got those... those. Have you got those images burned in your head of Ange Postacoglu when he was coaching the Socceroos with Matty Ryan just mm. rolling the ball out even though there was no one to really roll the ball out to? Yeah, and I was lucky to get to Yokohama last year and watch one of their matches and it was just like watching the Socceroos. They were doing <laughs> yeah. exactly the same, same thing. <laughs> Uh, dominant Raheem Sterling performance has helped England stay atop Group A in their Euro qualifiers. Sterling scored and set up three others as England overcame Kosovo in a 5-3 golf fest. Meanwhile, Cristiano Ronaldo has... I saw a Barisha on the score sheet there for Viva uh, Barisha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I him. We'll when, talk about that a bit more later, obviously. We will. Derek, yeah. And just, Ronaldo has edged close to 100 international goals, bagging the lazy four for Portugal in a 5-1 win over Lithuania. And we will have more news on that with Derek later. Embrace of braces, yeah. But just a little bit more news on it. French President Emmanuel Macron has apologised to Albanian Prime Minister Eddie Rammer after the wrong anthem was played before the two nations clashed What's in Paris. What's the name of the Albanian Prime Minister? Eddie Rammer. Eddie Rammer. There you go. Eddie Rammer. <laughs> Ed. Albanian players refused to start the match after the Andorran anthem was played. The issue was compounded uh, when the ground announcer apologised to the Armenian players. <laughs> Going beautifully. Just don't get it at times. Okay. I know you guys like a good song on the way out, but maybe the Albanian national anthem could be a shout for the play out tonight. Yeah, just, uh, just yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, Derek, <laughs> good can, luck can you go into the control Pat. booth with Pat? <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia, I think. Wikipedia. <laughs> Pat's just, we, we, he's doing a handstand in the... In that's the, it, we, 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 we might just compound the error, you know. <laughs> Napoli manager Carlo Ancelotti has slammed the state of the Stadio San Paolo with his sights set to be without proper changing rooms as they return to the venue. 
They played the first fixtures away this season, but they're yet to have Sampdoria and Liverpool uh, join uh, visit them this week. However, their rooms aren't um, up to scratch. And Rob, I know how you love when the Italian tra- translations turn out to be quite passionate. Mm-hmm. In a letter on the website, Angelotti said he was outraged by the incorrectness and inadequacy of those who had to carry out the jobs. I am dismayed. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's like they often say it's an idiomatic expression where the, where the, the words can't be perfectly translated. But uh, the Italians that there's not many countries do outrage like Italians no, and, no, no, uh, and when you're married to one you just have to get used to it you know it's like you, it, it's just like uh, it's like a, a, a volcano exploding and then just settling down straight away like well, nothing to see here or I didn't do anything <laughs> two-time Olympic gold medalist Casta Semenya has signed for South African women's side JVW Semenya is unable to defend her 800 meter world championship this year given changes to the IAAF rules so has turned to football she will begin playing in 2020, although hasn't drawn a line through her athletics career. She's um, the uh, Usain Bolt of uh, women's football, is she? Yeah, she certainly is, although I think not. she might go a little bit better than Usain. <laughs> a little bit more you know, durable, unless she'll be able to run I out of she's got a, I, I have no idea about this, but does she have a background in football? Has she played it as a kid or something? I don't, I don't know. No, not too sure. But yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. Huddersfield Town have been fined £50,000, $89,000, for their Paddy Power kit stunt. I think you were on the program last time when we spoke about this, Derek. Yes. So this brings a little bit of closure. They released a controversial kit in pre-season. It seemed like a bit of a harmless prank, but a precedent has now been set for clubs considering anything similar. Uh, I reckon they can afford the fine. So let's explain what pay the for stunt it, was. They released a kit with a big sash which said Paddy Power quite prominently on the, on the shirt. Yeah, so Paddy Power, uh, uh, sort of renowned for these kind of guerrilla marketing uh, tactics, they're now actually running a campaign called Save Our Shirts, which is that their 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 logo is now not on the Huddersfield shirt, so it's kind of like an anti-sponsorship. But I think anything just to cause a bit of bit of a, a new story and get people to think about. Well, I certainly. That was reverberated around the world, so well done to them. And I'm sure that they'll help out Huddersfield with a fine. Can they sponsor Box to Box? I don't know. Give me a call, Rob. I think that there's got to be a word for the Huddersfield lawyer who allowed the contract to say that they had to play in this shirt no matter what. I think <laughs> that we've got to be looking at his contract now. <laughs> French Football Federation President Noel Legret has weighed in on the homophobia problem consuming French football. He believes referees have been wrong to halt matches due to homophobic chanting, saying he doesn't want the, beha- the game to be beholden to such behaviour. He stated security is working to make banners and the abuse disappear, but that matches shouldn't be stopped. So it's an interesting one. It seems to me like he sort of hopes if you ignore it, it'll go away to an extent, which yeah, I, don't I think is the right Yeah, I just wonder what he would do if it, his son was um, a victim of that kind of abuse. Interesting when uh, you're not connected, uh, you know, in uh, in as uh, you know, a, a, such an obvious way as, as somebody who you know has a, a family member involved. Um, yeah, you know, I think the referees are doing the right thing. Certainly, <laughs> the French feed income. I've spent a bit of time there this year. Feed income, really. He needs to uh, grow a couple. And just finally, the woman at the centre of Neymar's rape charges has been charged with extortion, slander, and fraud. <laughs> Niajal. Tridnande is her name. She made the allegations in May, which he denied. The charges were subsequently dropped, so she's now facing charges of her own. Her former husband is also being charged with extortion by Sao Paulo police in Brazil. Well, there you go. Bit of a heavy one to finish. 
Mm. Yeah, I guess it's the case, isn't it? That um, that unfortunately you get um, randoms like this that are uh, that are trying to blackmail people who uh, who should be thrown in jail. Um, they uh, they undermine the genuine cases and and make people wonder uh, on every uh, claim, don't they? So um, yeah, well, throw the book at them. Absolutely. All right. Well done, Willow. Cheers, Rob. Okay. Uh, Ron Smith. Make a couple of uh, comments just before we... Uh, when did up. anyone ever stop you making a comment that you were going to make? Huh? Well, I just wanted to send very, 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 very good wishes to Ray Dower, who was on our program recently. Mm. Uh, her junior Matildas kick off their Asian Championships on Sunday evening in a massive game against Japan. They play their hardest game first. So all of... Uh, the box-to-box best wishes go to yeah, the junior Ray Matildas and Ray. Chatted to Ray after she was yeah, appointed. And the, Joeys, and the Joeys are also playing their uh, match against uh, their first match in their uh, Asian uh, AFC Under-16 Championship qualifiers. Uh, they play Mongolia on Monday of next week. And uh, they play Macau on the Wednesday uh, Team Alest on the Friday and then uh, the following Sunday against Vietnam. So best wishes to Trevor Morgan, who was also recently on the program. So uh, Australia's junior uh, teams, national teams in the spotlight uh, in uh, Taipei for the junior uh, junior Socceroos or the Young Socceroos. Right. We'll get, we'll, we'll, and we'll for the Matil- for young, junior Mat- Matildas uh, in Thailand, in Chonburi. So good luck to those coaches and teams. Excellent. All right. Well done. All silent, all sold. Ron Smith next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And we don't often delve into the analysis of... uh, the coaching of the game, but when an elder statesman of the stature of Ron Smith uh, uh, decides he's going to present a lecture uh, on uh, goal scoring analysis, then uh, we thought it's time to have a yarn to the great man. Welcome back to the show, Ron. Thank you. So um, this is uh, anyone who knows football in this country knows um, that um, analysis is uh, is your uh, your pet love of the game, and um, and you've long been uh, synonymous with with the detail of the game. What what um, prompted you to to collect that sort of uh, uh, body of work that you've uh, you've created over the years to to present this uh, this lecture on? Um, well, years ago when I was coaching uh, professionally and having to get results. I tried to make some sense out of what I call the randomness of scoring goals. Um, a lot of people in football think that goal scoring is just a result of mistakes. Um, others take a different view and they think that um, there is actually something that causes goals, you know, by good play. And I'm one of those. I, I don't believe in the, the notion that all goals are a result of errors. Um, and so I started to look closely at what happened in the game. And I, so I started looking for things like how often do teams actually get in behind opponents? As a player, I was always taught things like keep the play in front of you as long as possible. Don't let people get in behind um, because that was the key to not conceding goals. And so I, I started to explore this and I, I actually came up with like three ways of scoring goals. By getting in behind opponents, by scoring when defenders can still defend, and from crossing. And so I've continued with that over a period of over 20 years now. Um, and I, I look at that criteria when I assess the goal scoring patterns in things like World Cups. 
So that that's really what I'm where I'm coming from. Hey, Ron, we just love uh, chatting to you on this program. It's, it's it is it is for all of us who've got our heads in the space that you operate in. I've, I've just got a, a, a general question. This lecture you're giving is about um, the goal scoring uh, trends from the. Uh, two World Cups, the Men's World Cup yep. in Russia in 2018 and the Women's World Cup in France uh, earlier this year. Um, yeah. There was lots of debates about men's and women's football, but do, did you pick up any, um, sort of in a nutshell, I know it's probably a difficult question, but did you pick up any major differences between goal-scoring opportunities that are generated uh, in the men's game and the women's game? Are there are there any unique differences? The, only, the, the biggest one I, I found was where possession is regained in the middle third. In both World Cups, I mean, we haven't been able to analyse too many women's World Cups because not many have been actually televised. Yeah, yeah. Um, The 2015 World Cup, I was actually in Canada and I didn't realise at the time that they were going to show more than just Australia's games. Yeah. Um, So I missed out on being able to analyse that. But this one uh, was okay. The biggest difference I've found so far is that all of the trends that happen in men's football occur in women's football. But the, uh, and I'll give you a little fact here, the majority of goals in all levels of football, whether you're talking about the A-League, Premier League, World Cups, Asia Cups, the bulk, around 50% of all goals, come from regains in the middle third of the park. Okay? Now, in men's football, more regains come from in your own half of midfield Yep. as opposed to the opponent's half. But in the women's, it was a complete opposite. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and so because I've captured all this in video, I go back and have a look. Um, and then you start looking, so why is this? And I think one of there were two potential reasons. One is that the women try and play out from the back and they take more risks, so they, they get uh, turned over more frequently in their own half. And the other one is that the majority of goals from regains in the final third particularly come from clearances out the penalty area. And the women are not as strong as the men, so they can't clear balls as far as men do. Um, And that becomes quite evident when you look at goal kicks. The number of goals that was scored from winning the ball after a goal kick in the Women's World Cup was much, much higher than the men's. Um, and so, you know, you look at the men's goalkeepers, when they take a goal kick, they'll put it 20 yards over the halfway line, where an awful lot of the women goalkeepers weren't actually clearing the halfway line. This is Box to Box so, on NTS News Talk Sports. Sorry to jump in on you there, Ron. We're talking to the great Ron Smith, coaching Doyen in Australia, about his uh, upcoming lecture, which is going to be held in Brisbane, and we'll give it a bit of a shout-out if uh, you are keen to go. Uh, you just have to uh, call Paul Edwards on 0424799827 or pauledwards1963 at gmail.com for more information. We'll mention that before the end of the show as well. So, Derek, um, you've got some observations on this, mate. Yeah, Ron, pleasure to talk to you. I mean, yeah. the kind of discussion we're having in here tonight, I mean, it could have potentially have been quite alien a, a few decades ago, but obviously stats and analysis is so de rigueur, you know, particularly in uh, international football, European football. There's a lot of pundits that bang on about XG, which I'm sure you're very familiar yeah, with as, goals, as, as yeah. a concept. Yeah. Um, but obviously now you have teams like Arsenal and, and others, you know, buying entire data companies in order to yeah. try and get 
that edge and then you, you hear about the money ball and, and everything else how much of an edge do you think you know this kind of analysis you're doing can give teams everyone from the the park footballer all the way up to the uh, to the professional level um one of the things i would say is that um one of one of the things i did in my phd was to look at different levels of football so i looked at world cups european championships premier league and the a league so I had domestic football and international football. But the trends were consistent across all levels of football. Um, and so, you know, regardless of the standard, you get these trends. And that, that's kind of like what I look for to be able to say to people with some sort of confidence, you can do this, or why are you doing that? I'll give an example. Like um, the number of goals that come from regains in the back third and from playing from the back third, are very small. And yet everybody seems to be obsessed with playing out from the back. And you say, so where's the evidence? Is it a myth? You know, um, now, what I can say with conviction... It's fascinating stuff, it really is. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But the evidence, when you look at the number of goals that are scored from playing out from the back, and particularly from the goalkeeper... You're like, there was one in the 2014 World Cup. Yeah. You know, so that gives you... And you say, well, how do you spend your time actually um, working during the week? What I'm looking for as a coach, I'm, I'm not an academic who just looks at analysts and, and sort of says, OK, I can come up with some geeky things. Um, I'm looking at it from a practitioner's point of view. Mm. How can I apply this knowledge and... How can I maximise the time I spend with my team to get the best effect? Where should I actually focus? You know, so that's the sort of evidence that I look for, which is why my research is quite different to some of the, the people that have never played the game but like to analyse it. Hey, Ron, what, what about um, approach um, certain teams and coaches, without sort of going into the detail of formations, but certain Teams and coaches like to play a pressing game. Uh, other play, other teams and coaches like to uh, sit behind the ball deep and play a counter-attacking style. Have you broken down goal-scoring trends based on uh, the approach to the game that uh, that that uh, nations or clubs uh, undertake? Yep. Uh, whether that's you know a, a full-on press or or playing behind the ball, for example. Well, the beauty of having everything on video is encoded is that I can go back and, and just pick out things and say, well, is this true? And, and I'll pick up on one of the things that you mentioned there about pressing. In the Men's and Women's World Cups, less than 30% of goals in open play were a result of pressing opponents. Okay, you, you'll score more goals from winning clearances out of the penalty area than you will from pressing people. Yeah. You know, and that's a fact. But people don't want to believe it. They don't. They like to sort of think that, oh, this is... Um, and like playing out from the back. I want to score more goals from making 23 passes. It, it's not going to happen. The reason for playing out from the back is to try and get everybody in the opponent's half because that's where you can do damage. You won't score many goals playing out from the back. Fascinating that's stuff. That's fascinating stuff. <laughs> it really is. 
Ron, with Ron, we mentioned XG a little earlier. Um, is this some, yeah. is that something that you you think is a, you know a coherent way of analysing the game? And for for the people at home that don't know, it's basically a way of trying to assess how many chances a team creates and then the quality of those chances. And then there's a kind of equation which says you know um, that's how many we we would expect someone that creates this level to score this number of goals do you think that that's that's a relevant kind of stat and how useful is it when you're analyzing a game um i'm not interested one iota in expected anything hmm. because i live in the real world as a coach um and so what you expect i was always i worked for 10 years at the institute with a great sports psychologist john grantson and he said to me don't expect anything okay that way um, because if you do expect things and it happens, you go, oh, well, I expected that. If it doesn't happen, you're disappointed. And the other thing about expectation is that it's the greatest catalyst for complacency. You know, if you expect to win on the weekend, you go out there with a the wrong mindset. And it's no different with anything else that you expect. So I've come from the real world, and I don't expect anything other than the best effort from my players uh, based on what we've done during the week to try and get a result. So I hope that, <laughs> you know, there's probably a lot of people out there thinking, oh, well, you know, um, he's a bit old school. But, I, you know, in that respect, I'm not too fussed about predictions because you've still got to go out and do it. And oh. once you think you've got some God-given right to go out there and win a game, I think you're in trouble. I wonder if uh, the Bayern Munich defenders in 1999 expected two goals from United in the last the last minute. <laughs> no way, no way, no. <laughs> hey, Ron, we'd love to talk to you all night, mate. But um, you've given us a real good snapshot. So, so it's called on the attack, a goal scoring analysis. It's on yeah. Thursday, the 19th of September, at the Australian Catholic University Brisbane campus. It's from 6:30 till 8 p.m. Uh, tickets are $20 or, or $10 if. Uh, you're a member of the Coaches Association. Students are free. And as I said, to register, simply contact Paul Edwards, 1963 at gmail.com or call him on 0424 Ron, uh, no doubt it'll go well. You mentioned you're looking forward to, to doing this uh, uh, presentation in other markets and other states. So uh, just let yeah. us know when uh, you are and we'd love to have you in the studio. Okay, let's do it. So okay. if you live in... so the message, Good on you, Ron. So the message, uh, Rob, is if you live in Brisbane and you're a football coach and you don't go to that session, you're a moron. Correct. Yes. Underscored. All right. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ron. See you, Ron. Cheers, okay, all right, boys, stick around. Uh, Derek, um, we're going to get stuck into the Euro qualifiers. There were, well, I guess, most results were pretty much as expected, but a few uh, uh, little surprises uh, and um, and a big round of uh, of Premier League and Championship football. Uh, so stick around. We're going to talk about all that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, welcome back to Box to Box. So it's been a big week, as Michael said off the top of the show, uh, with the international break, uh, a hell of a lot of games played uh, across Europe and the Premier League and uh, other competitions kicking or you know, restarting again this weekend. So, so Derek, um, you've got yourself right into the middle of all this. Um it's um, big shoes to fill with Dino because he just loves to get into the detail. But uh, I know you well enough to know that um, you're a man of detail yourself, so you'll hold up your end. Yeah, I'm sure I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about... Give him a break, Rob. He's doing very well. Um, exactly, I know. 
place to start probably is the home nations that's where i'd naturally yeah. gravitate to and that's where dean would i'm sure as well yeah england obviously won both of their games and are cruising through their group stage i'm interested in the second game was it five yeah. two against Costa? Five, three. it was five three five three eight goals in that game it's five one at half time yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just seemed like because of scored the first goal in they the did. first three minutes. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a, a vintage performance for England, but it was certainly very entertaining. A lot of criticism that's been laid, leveled at the England team in recent years is that the friendlies have been pretty boring, or some of these qualifying games have been pretty boring. They actually moved this game to Southampton rather than Wembley, so they had a. Quite a quite a good crowd there who mm. were in. I listened to it on the radio. It was a really you know, raucous atmosphere. I actually did yeah. read about Kosovo. Um, just a useless stat: their capital city in Kosovo. Um, there's more people under the age of 25 than there is other ages. Mm. Well, we were all just sitting on the edge of our seats for that stat. And as a result of that, <laughs> um, there's been a resurgence in the love of their football team, and they've actually had a good result in the first year. I thought you must football. have had a point to make that. At least you did make your point. I did. Kosovo obviously is the, it's the newest it's the newest country in international football. They don't have some of the players that they would have had, like Jedan Shakiri, for example, mm-hmm. and Granite Xhaka at Arsenal, are both Kosovans, but actually have chosen to play for um, Switzerland, for Switzerland yeah. instead. So they're still new. And got in a bit of trouble at the World Cup, m- making that sign of the eagle. Uh, yeah. Um, which is seen as a bit of a political. But, uh, look, as an Eng- as a, you know, as an England supporter, you can't argue with it. They've scored 19 goals in four games, at the top of the table. Mm. The defence looks a bit iffy, and they're going to have to go back to the the training paddock for that one. Um, mm. But look, they they're cruising through. Um, Scotland, on the other hand, are crashing out. They had a couple of disastrous results at home to Russia and Belgium. Belgium looking really good. Um, Wales had a bit of a limp display, but won over Azerbaijan. I don't know if anyone uh, saw the the, uh, the first uh, goal for Wales where a ball loops up into the air. The defender didn't see where it had gone, and it just hit him on the head and went into the goal. And then, of course, Gareth Bale won it for Wales late in the game. Um, Ireland actually still top of their group in what is a competitive group with um, Switzerland in there and Denmark and uh, Northern Ireland lost at home to Germany the Germans themselves having lost to the Dutch Mm. 4-2 in quite an extraordinary game as well Ryan Babel scoring two goals um, if you remember remember him from his from his Liverpool days Um, Group B is led by Ukraine. Portugal are starting to turn it round. I know Willem in the the news there spoke about Ronaldo and his four goals. Um, That makes him now the highest scorer in European... uh, In that competition, he's Mm -hmm. overtaken Robbie Keane. So another record for Cristiano. Um, A word for Liechtenstein, who um, got a draw in Greece. So Liechtenstein in that group of Gibraltar and Luxembourg and a few others that just get the you know backsize handed to them in nearly every game <laughs> but the poor you know the greeks the greeks have got to be pretty ashamed of that result um particularly as champions not so long ago spain romping it in group g italy romping it in group j with finland turkey um at top of group h at the moment so the cream is rising to the top after a couple of um early early um early shocks in these groups and yeah the big boys are now coming through so we've got obviously uh, in this room just before Willem I've just re- well, I was just sitting there <laughs> just really no 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 I've just because I've, I've we've obviously got Willem's Dutch heritage so he's interested in how the Netherlands have gone and Rob's uh, wife's Italian so he's mm-hmm. he's interested in how Italy's going and obviously you with England Derek and Dino with Wales so I thought I'd pick a team I thought I would pick a team <laughs> have you picked Kosovo have you no no Gibraltar how did they go 
Gibraltar lost, unfortunately. Damn, to say that. heartbroken. <laughs> um, did it, they put up a gutsy performance? Yeah, so I think they, they were they competitive? Do. If you if you've ever seen the the Gibraltar home pitch, it's actually next to the runway of the airport. So and I, you know, I've well, been, not a big place. Been though, past Gibraltar. it <laughs> several times through the through the airport there, and the planes actually land and cross a main road that they have to close in the middle of the runway. How so. did your uh, Dutchies go? They got up, didn't they? Ryan Babel blast from the past. Yeah. Was it 4-2? Yeah, it's like a revelation, really. You've got players like uh, Wilnaudum, Babel, and Memphis, remember Memphis Depay as well? Yeah, Memphis is It's just like these Where guys... Where these guys come from? <laughs> these guys that have been discarded. I mean, we, we talk about the new generation of Dutch footballers with De Ligt and, and the yeah. rest of them, but all of a sudden, these mid-late 30s guys, 20s and 30s guys, are all back in it, and the Dutch have come from the mire in terms of non-qualification, and all of a sudden, I'd put a little punt on them to do well at the next tournament. Well Fantastic. Done. Up the Dutch. Sorry, Willem. No, I rudely right. interrupted you, as Rob pointed out, for no, no, the that's first right. time in 199 episodes. <laughs> no, the point might have passed, but you said that Greece should be ashamed. I think they're being led by friends of Australian football. John Van John Schip, Schip and, and Michael Volcanus. Volcanus. Yeah. There we go. So, so, not looking too good for those blokes. So they got uh, they, they drew, didn't they? Their, their first game they drew, and it was against Amino. And Amino, uh, they had like uh, one transition, long ball, scored the goal. And uh, I remember, I did see the highlights of, of that. I forget who it was. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, the uh, it was the typical response from the Greeks in the crowd. Uh, grab the hat, throw it on the ground. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and light 10,000 flares. No, no, it was in Athens. They didn't light flares in, uh, in Thessaloniki. Who did Greece draw with? You got the results there? Yeah, yeah, so the Greek, Greeks drew with um, Luxembourg. Yeah, so. that's it, Luxembourg. Oh, sorry, no, Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Oh, you would have expected right. Liechtenstein yeah. to go down at Greek, the Greeks, but uh, they got a famous 1-1 draw in Athens. Yeah, and uh, Gibraltar went 4-0 down to Switzerland. Just That's just not a bad result you know. for my team, Gibraltar. No, that's <laughs> no, no. not bad. Well, the next thing, we're expecting you to be wearing a Gibraltar uh, shirt when you come in next week, Michael. Okay. All right, well, that's um, the Euros. So um, looking forward to the early start on Saturday night. Back I love that game. Yeah. 9.30 kickoff at Anfield, Newcastle. Not hiding to nothing. They're going to get whipped, aren't they? Steve Bruce, I don't think um, he'll be looking forward to that, don't. There's only one result here and uh, a Liverpool victory. I just think you've got two teams with contrasting fortunes at the moment and I expect Liverpool to make it five out of five. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the uh, the opening game, and uh, it, look, it's a pretty tasty round. I mean, that, that, mm-hmm. the overnight games, uh, I'll let you go through those. Yeah, look, I, I, the one that really stands out for me is uh, Manchester United versus Leicester City. Mm. Um, I actually think I'm, I'm going to go for a Leicester away win here. I think mm. they're Bang in form. Manchester United have got eight injuries at the moment, including including Pogba and Lingard. I think Rogers, whatever you think about him as a personality, mm. and he is quite an interesting guy uh, to be diplomatic. But he's getting the best out of Vardy. He mm. seems yeah, to Vardy have kind seems of, to have uh, yeah you know, uh, since the Premiership year, he, he he sort of drifted off the coaches. Uh, Claude Puel in particular well, look, seemed uh, to have him in four, his system. After four games, they're third on the table. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, that's the form, isn't it? If there's it? a team yeah. that's going to disrupt this top six or even the top four it could be them because they've still got a core of that team mm. that won the league and look some of the other managers like Puel I think they man- they struggle to manage the egos like mm. Vardy um, I think Rogers is a big Casper enough Schmeichel's a big enough boy to go in there now and mm. he's got a pedigree and he can tell them what he wants but they're getting balls over the tops of Vardy and he's scored, scoring some fantastic goals so I think that's a good one to watch 
Tottenham and Crystal Palace, I think, is an interesting one too. Um, Palace obviously upset United earlier in the season and, and uh, defying the odds a little bit. And Tottenham probably haven't had the greatest start to the season so far. I'd probably back Tottenham to get back on track here. Um, but they do have a lot of lot of injuries themselves. But they, t- they tend to win this game. Christian Eriksen Cloud still hanging over the club. Do you think he'll stay, go? No, I think he's got to go, really. He's I think Pochettino's go. pretty unhappy with the situation. I think Eriksen was try- looking for a move to Spain, either one of the Madrid clubs, and it just didn't happen, and he'll wait and he'll he'll go. Um, looking at the other games, Norwich and Manchester City, again, you know, Norwich are had a great start, and Pukki seems like a cracking player. but He's their just favourite player in the Premier League now. That'll be a team of Pukki there, Edge. Yeah, well, he scored for his uh, uh, country, Finland. Yeah, he did. He did, yeah. So he's yeah. in good scoring form, but uh, he's mm-hmm. in a bit of trouble this week. <laughs> I think they all are because, he's in a bit of trouble this you week. know, Norwich don't play defensive, so they're going to no. play their game, and I think City will absolutely love that. But if Timo gets an opportunity, he's likely mm. to score. We love mm. Timo Puki here, Derek. Yeah. Now, you're a little bit worried um, about the Monday morning game uh, with your mob heading to Vicarage Road. Uh, yeah, I was just looking at the, the uh, day, bottom yeah. of the table, Watford. So Yeah, but with the, but the point that I'm making with Kike Sanchez-Flores um, mm-hmm. back um, in charge after uh, the sacking, um, that's always Arsenal a dangerous win. time. Uh, look, I think Arsenal it, win. Yeah, look, I, I would be going for an Arsenal win here. Told you. Yeah, um, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, look, new manager bounce. I'm always worried about it. And look, and I'll tell you what, boys. Arsenal always seem to have a fixture against you know the, the, just after the manager's been sacked. And we've had this new manager ha- okay. happen with Hasenhutl and Southampton. It just keeps happening. But I heard this interesting phrase um, that um, there's, there's a phrase in Spanish that said that. Kike Sanchez Flores is a bit like reheated soup. <laughs> that, so they're not, the, you know, some some of the fans are not. Um, some not, soup's not better that. the second day, you know. Well, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but he did he did okay. I mean, most of the Watford managers actually do okay, but then they just move them on and uh, and what have you. But they've had a very bad start to the season. That uh, you know, the, the they had a bad end to last season, and the FA Cup final kind of masked what was not not a great uh, was uh, end of the season. And Arsenal have actually started the season pretty well so I think I think Arsenal will win um, Bournemouth, Bournemouth and, and Everton Everton have a really strong start this season I like look at their squad now with Keane Awobi Rickard Richarlson the bench is really solid for Everton so I think you know I keep an eye on them um, Aston Villa's got a big game to round out uh, yeah the fixture against West Ham I mean it's it's only we're only into the fifth game of the season but uh, mm. Villa um yeah, they've been a bit up and down, but uh, they're obviously in the bottom three at the moment. So at home to West Ham, you'd expect them to find something. The Claret Derby. Yeah, look, I, I'd like to see it from Villa because I don't think that their performances, their results have been uh, sort of justifying the, you know, the performances really. But West Ham have had a really strong start as well. And they've got a really... Other than that sort of really horrendous game one, which was against Manchester City. Yeah, that's fight, true. Yeah. But it's Manchester City, yeah. isn't it? But with Haller and Yarmolenko and these kind of guys in the forward line, like they look exciting. Just a quick one for you, Derek. We saw Norwich in the championship last year sort of take all the, before them, playing really yeah. expansive attacking football. And they've come in this year and they've shown they're going to back that to the hilt and go with yeah. it again. But we saw Fulham last year do that as well. Uh, are they a bit of a cautionary tale, Fulham, or do you think it'll be different for Norwich? 
I think it is a cautionary tale. I think if you look at Sheffield United, for example, have come up very unfancied. But if you're a bit of a championship badger, you'd you'd notice that they're very organised, they've got good spirit, and they're adaptable to the conditions. Whereas I do worry for Norwich. Um, they do have a reputation just historically of playing quite attractive football, but Premier League's a ruthless area, and they're going to get cleaned out by a few people if they keep leaving themselves open. So I'd be trying to be a bit more pragmatic if I was the uh, the Norwich manager. Well, well done. Nice analysis, gentlemen. I know Dino would be spewing that we're not talking about the championship, but sometimes when there's so much to talk about with the international break and the Premier League, we just have to take a pass. So on this occasion, we will. All right, stoppage time. We're going to go through some more of the uh, the Asian World Cup qualifying. It's, it's not just to all home. about the Socceroos. Yeah, yeah looking so, forward to that. Okay, all right, that's next in stoppage time on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you the Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is stoppage time. The fourth official signals just a little over six minutes to go. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more Asian football. But before we do, uh, we love Storage King at Box to Box. They are the best in the business. A lot of people store, a lot of smart people store. Um, they get uh, space back in their homes. They get their garage back. Are you one of those people? Why not? You should be. Get to storageking.com.au and find your nearest store because you need more space in your home and you can have it if you go to Storage King. Get back your home for your growing family. You can keep all the things you want. You can dispose of the things you don't. But if you choose Storage King, the kings of storage moving and more, you will be taken care of absolutely. Storageking.com.au for your nearest store. So, gentlemen, we uh, talked in depth about uh, the Socceroos over Kuwait with Simon earlier in the show. Um, we're all sort of happy about that. But, uh, um, Derek, you've, you've been through a few of the other games um, across um, Asia. Uh, did you pick out anything in particular? That How did your team go in Asia, your second team in Asia? How'd they Lebanon? Go? Yeah. I don't know. That's North Korea 2, Lebanon nil. Yeah, spewing. They had to play away from home the on Cedars. the first, first uh, game. Eating too much hummus. Absolutely. Um, Sri Lanka got off to a start against Turkmenistan. Sri Lanka nil, Turkmenistan 2. I'm just going to pick some random games. Well, I was going to say, for a bloke, when I, I sort of directed the question to Ed, I, Derek, you, you sound remarkably like Michael. No, I, I know, <laughs> no, but I just love the this stage of qualifying. It's just great. Go for it, Derek. Oh, yeah, well, Tajikistan and uh, Mongolia, it was a big one for me. A 1-0 to Tajikistan with 10 men. Um, North Korea beat Lebanon, actually. So they're not yeah, well, you as mentioned bad as, so, as, yeah. as I thought. And... Uh, um, what was the other one I saw there? Yeah, Yemen and Saudi drawing two. All, yeah, that uh, was an interesting result. For, yeah, because yeah, Yemen also drew with Singapore. So, um, they, I mean, so that's an interesting one. Uh, Yemen, because that's the big grudge match. Yemen, and they played that on neutral territory, by the way, as well. Um, the, the, you know, we were talking last time we had a. Hang on, Yemen and Singapore. No, Yemen, Yemen and, and Sing- Saudi. Saudi, yeah. Oh, of yeah, course, yeah, well, yeah, that is a But they had match, two yeah. games. Yemen's yeah. played two games, yeah. so they, they drew both games. Drew both games. Yeah, they had each games. other. Yeah. That's, uh, but, well, I'm, I'm interested no, no. In, the, in the Middle Eastern teams that are that are actually doing well, that are going to qualify for, for Qatar. There's got to be... Well, Qatar's uh, going to get qualified, and they've yeah, played 1-6-0. I, I thought they would qualify, given that they're hosting the yeah. tournament. Um, can I just point out a couple of grudge matches in our region of Asia, which uh, I thought were amazing that they're all in the same group. So Thailand and Vietnam drew nil-nil. That is a grudge match of enormous proportions. Mm. And the other big grudge match was Indonesia 2, Malaysia 3. I tell you, it mightn't be a great football game when you go there, even though anyone who listens to this show knows that I've been pumping up Thailand and Vietnam for a long time. But geez, you'd eat well. 
Yeah, you would eat very well. <laughs> and and now at Eastwood, they were they were fantastic uh, games. Vietnam had a great Asian Cup. They had a great mm. Asian Cup. Mm. They really did. So did Thailand. They got a win. Mm. Um, but I, I thought those interesting uh, those games were interesting. Qatar six, Afghanistan nil. Kuwait seven nil over Nepal before they lost to us. Um, some other interesting results that we might pick out. Guam one. Guam. Guam one. Philippines four. You, you, Chinese Taipei lost to Nepal, so they can't be that good. Mm. Surely we'd get a cricket score against Chinese Taipei. Adam Taggart, he's going to have to score against them. Well, isn't Nepal he? will be up and about coming to Canberra. Three points. Singapore two, Palestine one. Um, Iran got off to. They only played like us. Played one game. They got off to a win against Hong Kong away from home. Uh, Iran, Hong Kong nil. Iran two. Um, Thailand beat Indonesia 3-0 in the second game and North Korea got a win against Sri Lanka um, I'm just looking for and the uh, look the game that I want to talk about is uh, China's first game Maldives nil, China 5 and the great Chinese striker Ericsson <laughs> How many did he? How many did he net? He scored two. He scored two. Have you ever met a Chinese guy called Ericsson, Rob? Um, Eric Sun. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Is that what you're no, saying? No. no. no, no oh, sorry, saying. So the the male we we spoke about him a, a little bit previously. He's um, Evergrande, Guangzhou Evergrande's gun recruit from Brazil, um, who they fast track for naturalisation. There is a dirty rumour going around um, that I think is uh, can be fact checked by the ABC's uh, fact check status is that he doesn't speak Mandarin, yet he's Chinese. Don't need to speak Mandarin to so, touch up the victory in the ACL a couple of times. He's am an I, exceptional player. Am I sort of... Uh, is anybody going to come to my rescue here, Derek, Rob? Um, am I... I'm not being I'm not being xenophobic here, am I? No, well, I just think that you're forgetting the fact that every single country around the world does exactly the same thing. So what's good for the, the goose is good for the peaking duck. I think you said in the break <laughs> that uh, it's not as if... I think you said in the break they've got a small population to draw on. Yeah, I did. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, 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 I haven't ge- a problem. No, with generally, it. you don't have a problem with people being naturalised. Well, mate, look, once the um, you know Pandora's can of worms has been unleashed, um, you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Can I throw any more cliches in there, guys? I think it's I think it's been a long time since we've had one of these, though, isn't it? Mm, I think it is. Well, gentlemen, we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to really? give a bit of a shout-out to Paddy Panetta, who's joined us in the control booth. Pasquale! We haven't said hello to him, so Paddy pressing the buttons. Well done. Um, Nigel um, has had a break, but he'll be back. Paddy's in there. He's got his UV top on, which can be... Yeah, black and white. ...can be also... Um, Mixed now, Michael, this is the time when we're wrapping up the show <laughs> and you need to stop More talking, so I'm going to talk Joe's over you. Derek, you'll be back again next week, mate. Yes, sir. And it's going to yeah. be our 200th show, guys. 200 episodes of Box to Box since 2015. So you'll be all here? We'll all be here. Jeez, we've wasted some digital space on that, haven't we? No, we haven't. <laughs> we've been entertaining the world. And next week we will continue to do it for the 200th time on Box to Box when we go from one end of the pitch to the other, gentlemen, in the world game.